First name, Mr. Last name, Glass. Is it possible that there are no coincidences? I see dead people. Welcome back to Chronologically. This is the podcast where Eric... Hey, Jeff. How's it going? It's going well, and that's me. I'm Jeff. Uh, we go through some of cinema's greatest creators' works, full filmographies in chronological order, and uh, it's season three, and we are through the, the, the valley, as we said last week, and now I think we've hit another peak, as this week we watched Split from 2016. That is right. Yeah, so M. Night, M. Night once again coming with a self-funded independent film which is then distributed by uh, universal and blumhouse um but uh clearly this is where he belongs he needs to have creative control he needs to get all those studio notes and crap off of his back and just be able to do his thing because uh here we are again with uh i i would say Almost as good as the original trilogy, the the sacred trilogy that we discussed at the beginning of the season. Uh, yeah. Another banger here. So, yeah, it is um, easily mentioned among those names. Now, I I don't know if oh, it's close, man. It it is really really special, and um, I saw this in theaters to to get into our history a bit because I now. I did see the trailer and I was like, hell yeah. And the visit had already come out. So I was back on board with Shyamalan and anything he was doing. And I was like, oh, this looks dope. I love James McAvoy. Couldn't wait to see it. Watched it. Loved it in theaters. But I watching it this time, I'm like, damn, I wish I wouldn't have watched the trailer. I wish that because one thing this movie does, it slow reveals that um James McAvoy has more than one personality and I kind of would have liked to have been in the theater not knowing anything and then um you know when they're looking in the room and they think there's a woman in there and they're yelling for help from the woman and then she comes in and it's just another personality I think that would have been quite the reveal in cinemas but it was revealed in the the trailer and I kind of was bummed by that but that's my history loved it the first time and we'll talk about the twist if you will when we get there yeah so similar to you uh at this point i was back on board with going to see every Shyamalan film in the theater um i think i i mentioned last week i took my my older sons to see the visit and so they were all in on going to see this so we all the three of us went to the theater together to see it and uh you know like it has become a classic like my oldest son references this film very frequently like there's a lot of you guys had dinner and you didn't even invite me down to get some etc you know like (laughs) there's a lot of that going on in our house um and and so yeah this this is uh this is kind of a a a tippy top film as far as they're concerned and um i don't know i kind of want to get into the twist because watching the film in the theater like it gets to the end and I'm like, Oh, like it didn't have a twist, 
that was still a really good movie. Like, like the, the word split comes on the screen. And I was like, okay, so he got away from the twist in that one. And, and it's fine. Like, there was kind of... Not a- just fine. To me, even without what's about to come, right? This is superb, yes. right? And so I... Well, I'll let you finish, but I think that the movie didn't need it. And I, when that split comes up, I'm like, wow, he's back. Yes, agreed. No, yeah, yeah. It was better better than fine. But I'm just saying, like, yeah. like it, the fact that there wasn't a twist did not detract from the film is, is kind of what I'm trying to say. And then, you know, it goes into that next little scene, and I'm kind of looking at it, and I'm looking at it, and I'm hearing the music, and it sounded vaguely familiar, you know? So what is the music from? I don't. I didn't pick up on the music. I think I was like in the theater when it happened. I was kind of out of it. Like I saw it and I was like, oh, okay. But then my buddy Jason was with me and he's like, holy shit. And he kind of explained. I, I don't know why I didn't pick up that that was David Dunn. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. The so, music is the music from Unbreakable. Like it's the theme from Unbreakable. Okay. And then, and then you know, it swings around and it's him and I think maybe a third of the people in the theater got it in the moment, but I, I was one of that third, and I I yelled out like, "Oh God damn it! He got me again! <laughs> like he got me again!" And out of all of the twists in all of the films of his so far, this is maybe the one that I had the biggest reaction to because yeah. I just went bonkers i was just laughing and clapping and laughing and clapping and like like i was just so stunned and i I, I don't know like just the the best it was just the best moment uh in the theater and my kids were sitting there looking at me like what like what (laughs) right no i'll I'll tell you later i'll tell you later this is over a decade or more right since unbreakable so it, it is not in that I never thought we would see that, right? Right. Uh, you know, and now in hindsight, you look at the movie poster and it's got the broken glass sort of image because of the represent split personalities, but that was the hint, right? That was the hint that you've got this, and then the next movie's called Glass. And oh, and watching, it watching it this together. time, there are hints all through the movie. As okay, like, help me out because I didn't see any. Where are the, the hints well, th- that happen in the the body of the film. There's a lot of talk about the manifestation of power and powers yeah. and how this is a channel for humans to, you know, become more than what they are. You know, a lot of what the the doctor, the psychiatrist says when she's giving her various speeches and stuff, like I was listening to that in the context and I was like, okay, like th- this is like you, it very much feels like part of the same world. Um, the scene where she's holding the gun on her uncle, a lot of that dialogue is the exact same dialogue as what's in Unbreakable uh, when the son pulls really? the gun on Bruce Willis. Yeah. I'll have to rewatch that. I'm going to get upset now, you know, like that that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, there's 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 a lot of stuff. And then, of course, you know, his dad left on a train and he was left with his mom and then he goes and he rides the train and that's where he becomes the beast. You know, like there's all, all sorts of like train stuff kind of like scattered through it. Um, so yeah, like it, it really felt, but that said, I think upon first viewing, there is no 
way I would have picked up on this. Like, yeah, like there's no isn't. way because it was so far out of mind, you know, like this just felt like that you'd have to have watched Unbreakable and then walked into the theater to even have a chance. Yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. When they're describing what the beast looks like, it's very comic booky, right? It's very similar to what, uh, uh, Mr. Glass's mom describes when she describes like the, the warrior bad guy, you know, like the long fingers, the big mane of hair yeah. and da 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 da. Um, a lot of that is very similar. So like, I think only the biggest unbreakable fans who like had that movie memorized would have caught this. And I, I really, I mean, I can't, ima- I can't imagine having figured it out. Like it's just yeah. such a, such a great, great thing. And I read that during the test, uh, the test showings, test screenings or whatever, he left that part out. Like he didn't yeah. have it in there because he didn't want it to leak. He wanted like people in the theater smart to, to really get that blast, you know, ahead of time. So it was, yeah, very smart, very clever. Absolutely worked for me. Made me super excited for, you know, what was to come next, which he very quickly announced. Yes, there's going to be another one. So. Yeah. And I, this viewing, when it happened, I'm like, I I felt even more so. And maybe it's because I know what's to come. But I felt like, oh, I don't think this movie needed this. I think the movie's better without it. Because in hindsight, as recalling in my memory, I found Glass to be pretty disappointing and feeling like it almost taint split just a little bit it diminishes you know, like, it a little bit i agree i i also and we'll get to it more when we get to glass and maybe we'll appreciate it more this time yeah. i don't know but i also found it to be pretty disappointing like i i was kind of like eh, about the whole thing it just felt slow to me and i was kind of bored by it yeah and we'll get into it because i'm ready to dig in but uh, yeah i i agree now uh the movie is Definitely anchored by McAvoy and in my opinion is his best performance in any film that he's ever done um, and should have been nominated and won an Oscar for his role in this film. I think he is perfect. I agree. Now, I haven't seen all of McAvoy's films. Right. There are a lot, you know, um, but of the stuff that I have seen him in, like I'm watching this movie and I'm just thinking to myself, like, who else could have pulled this off as well as this guy? I guess he came swooping in at the last minute to replace Joaquin Phoenix, who ended up having some scheduling conflicts. I'm so much so happy it wasn't Phoenix and not that I have anything against him, but I don't like him as much like on screen like and maybe it's because of saturation and I've seen Joaquin do lots of movies, but. And I, I love Joaquin, but to me, like, I just want McAvoy to do it. And maybe it's because it's what we got, and that's what I know, but I find him so much more appealing on screen. Um, And maybe it's because he's not, his features aren't quite as notable as um, Joaquin. Joaquin's. Well, he certainly, where, he certainly seems to have a lot of power over his facial features, right? Like my wife can do this thing where she can like move her ears independently of one another, right? Like she Mm -hmm. can move her right ear and then she can move her left ear and she can like do both her eyebrows back and forth. And she can like make one nostril 
you know, get big and then the other. Like she has face tricks, right? And right. <laughs> that's what this reminds me of. He has amazing power over his facial features because I was looking at the poster and there was Barry and there was the the lady whose name is uh slipping. Patricia. Patricia? Is that is that who she is? Pat- Patricia. Patricia, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was Hedwig and then there was Dennis, you know, and you're looking at them and you can they feel like different characters, right? Yes. Like you can look at him in the moment and tell which one he's being. And that's all the result of that facial control, right? right. Like he And that's the the most notable part for me is when she's in Hedwig's bedroom and she's on the radio and she looks up and his posture has completely changed and uh, you're not quite sure you know it's you're thinking it's probably Dennis but then he does like a little head thing and you're like nope that's Patricia and you're just I love this so much like the moment when he makes them sandwiches and it's Patricia and she's brushing her hair she's like there's paprika in it she makes this little (laughs) face you know and I'm like I, I it's man, him doing Patricia is like my favorite part of the whole movie. I love it so much. It, it's an amazing. I don't even want to call it a performance because it's like a series of performances. It's like a deck of cards. It's yeah. like a set of performances. And that end bit where he's flipping between them, like on the fly, and you can see it happen. Like they don't cut yeah. away, and he's like flipping between them. It's amazing, and I know it must have been so hard to do, and like it's it's so incredible. It is absolutely incredible. And another thing that I like about this is that while it is like a dark movie, it's very dire circumstances. It's dire circumstances for all of them, including right. the majority of his personalities and his base human Kevin. You know, like they're all suffering as well like it's it's very dire the movie still finds ways to bring humor and lightness to the moment like the paprika thing and yeah uh, a lot of hedwig stuff is really good hedwig dancing bit is oh when he's (laughs) right now kanye's my man and then he does the mm, mm. Uh, yeah, so, like that whole so sequence good. is so great. And the thing is, like Hedwig could be bad yes. in anyone else's hands, right? And he he just nails it, and it doesn't feel false. And like even the et cetera thing, like it feels like a kid who doesn't understand really what that word means, right? But just kind of uses it in these contexts. Um, I, I I think that's even though I love the Patricia character, I think that's probably his greatest feat is making Hedwig work and not feel goofy. Yes, it doesn't feel fake. It doesn't feel over the top. If Hedwig rang false, I think the entire movie would kind of fall apart. Right? Like y- you have to you have to believe that in that moment Hedwig is there and Hedwig is real, you know? Yeah. And it never, it never rings false. Like it absolutely is believable that that is one of the personalities. It's not an act. It's not a put on that. That is a real person in that moment. And I love the way that our main character, Anna Taylor joy, who is what's her name? Chrissy, Chrissy, 
two Casey C's. Cook. Casey Cook. Casey. Yes. Uh, tries to kind of align herself with Hedwig, or, or rather, better yet, manipulate Hedwig into like messing up and and getting her free. Right? Like she, he's a kid, and she realizes that he's a kid, and that she can kind of take advantage of that. And, you know, kind of play into his ego a little bit, get him to show her stuff that maybe he shouldn't show her, you know, like she thinks she might be able to get out the window, uh, you know, all sorts of things. And, and I love how she very quickly, she's savvy enough to realize like, okay, these are these different personalities. I might as well treat them like different people. And the other ones aren't aware of what's going on when I'm with this one you know like yeah it's very very clever she's very wily yeah and she's like on yeah she's very smart but she also kind of all the stuff that the therapist talks about in her speeches it feels like she's kind of on board with already she kind of realizes these things and that these characters are very real inside of him and uh like you said they can't they don't really I mean, they can communicate between each other because eventually they do find out what he's done, what she's done to Hedwig. But um, it's not always the case, right? Because he keeps that secret. He's going to bring her into his room right. and they're going to listen to the radio and all that. They stuff. can communicate, but they don't automatically know, right? Like when they go back to the room with the chairs where they all sit, they can talk to each other and have discussions. But unless one of the personalities chooses to reveal information to the other personalities, they don't know, which is how yeah. uh, Dennis and Patricia have manipulated Hedwig into being their ally. Right. Like the, the other because ones, because he has the, the superpower, right? Everyone right. else, I, Barry's in control of the light, but Hedwig has the ability to kind of jump. Like he's got like a superpower to jump in front. And then he essentially uh, gives that power to, Patricia or Dennis. Dennis. Yeah. Yeah. And the layers of the performance are astounding when you think about the pieces of the film where Dennis is pretending to be Barry. Right. So like McAvoy is being Dennis being Barry, right? And and he has to find ways to communicate that so that the audience is kind of like, oh yeah, 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 you know, like look at he's wiping yeah. stuff down, he's doing OCD things, you know, so on and so forth. And uh like part part of that is the writing, right? Like the writing is gonna allow him to like move the move the little candy dish so it's correct and open the door with the with the yellow napkin or whatever so that he doesn't get germs on his hands. But then part of that is the performance too. You know, you can see just brief moments with Barry when when she accuses him of being Dennis, you know, like a little glint goes through his eyes, you know, like, but just a momentary hardness comes through yeah. in the performance and just like, God, that is chilling, dude. <laughs> he is nailing it. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. I feel like watching the movie again now that we're talking about it, but um, actually what I should do is rewatch Unbreakable and then rewatch this again uh, back to back. But um, one thing I, I will say in, and while I didn't, I think the visit felt like a Shyamalan movie. This is full Shyamalan. This, the, from the camera work, the tight storytelling, the confined spaces, this is Shyamalan. It all 
for me, like when I felt wrapped in his arms again, so to speak, within the theater was with the shot in the car with the camera panning. You can't see what dad's doing behind the truck. You're only seeing Anya Taylor-Joy and she pans to the left and it pans to the right. And then you see him. Uh, it just feels like Shyamalan to me and his visual storytelling. And I think that's why I love this so much and why it is easy to compare to the trilogy is because it feels like it belongs in the same context and it feels like it's directed by the same guy finally, you know? Yes. Yeah. Cloudy day in Philadelphia. Like that's, that's the vibe you're getting off, uh, you know, these Shyamalan movies is cloudy day in Philadelphia, small yeah. cast. There's bad stuff going on with them. You know? <laughs> yeah. What did you think of, uh, on a Taylor joy? This is, this is her second big performance. The first one being what the witch. Her... Um, okay. This came after that. Um, it was funny. I was looking at her IMDb this morning and I was like, God damn, I have seen almost every single one of these things. I, you you got to think. You always, and that's fine. Yeah. You always ask like who my favorite actor is. And I always end up going like, I don't have one. Like Elle Fanning, Saoirse Ronan. I'm going to put her on the list. Anna Taylor-Joy. Like okay. I'll pretty much, if she's in it, I'll watch it for sure. Like she's extraordinary. I absolutely, I think she's just a phenomenal performer. Um, yeah. So anyway, I where, where am were you on with her? record on this podcast, but I maybe uh, maybe this podcast, but certainly on the the my other podcast is saying I don't I find her kind of wooden in general. Um, I sp- specifically think of the chess show, and I like she's not bad, right, at all. But I feel like her performances usually kind of lack that facial emotion, and she's just very kind of stoic in a lot of her stuff to me. And I think it works really, really well in this movie because she's such a reserved character. Um, But I just generally, she's not one of my favorites. Um, Ah, And again, I wish, I I wish to challenge you on this. I wish to challenge you. I would love you to show me a performance that I can get behind. I cannot, I cannot condone calling her performance in the Queen's Gabbit wouldn't in any oh, way okay i will i will i'll say this maybe what you see as wooden i see as internalizing emotion right okay, so here's my problem right um it i hear you that's a nice way to put it but you just got done talking about how james mcavoy can show internalizing emotion on his face without letting you you know what i mean like he has that subtlety um, I don't think she does. And when I watch that show, and it's a good show, and again, I'm not trying to bury her. She's not, uh, what's the one I hate <laughs> from Lost World? I can't think of her name. Julianne Moore, right? Not that bad. But I don't think that she emotes a lot in most of her movies, and it kind of feels samey to me a little bit. And in that show, specifically... There's she's an alcoholic and yet she never acts like an alcoholic and doesn't the the portrayal of alcoholism in that show is bad and it may not be her fault. It's probably the writers or whoever, but they don't get alcoholism and what it looks like. I just there's in her movies. They're just sort of this blank stare of everything and maybe it's because she has those amazing eyes right and you just kind of 
look at them and get lost. See, but I, think, I think I think she does it all with her eyes. Like I know I, <sighs> I I'm picturing in my head the expression that you're describing. I, I I can see exactly what you're talking about in my mind's eye, right? Like I see that blank look on her face and the wide eyes and so on and so forth. But I it just I feel like I can read so much from what she's doing with her eyes, you know, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. It I agree to disagree. Like, like, I just vibe it's with totally her if fine. you just don't, and that's cool, you know? That's fine. I, I just, me personally. Um, that being said, I think she fits the character super well. Yeah. And I think her performance is good in the movie. I There's times I've said on, I don't think it was, again, my other podcast where I'm like, this person is lucky this role called for this sort of performance. I think of uh, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme in Universal Soldier where he doesn't have to emote very much. He's very stoic and it's really easy for him to actually deliver that performance because it doesn't call for much. And I'm a Van Damme fan. It's the first time in history anybody ever compared Anna Taylor-Joy to Jean-Claude Van Damme. Sure, I don't care. Listen... And she's a better actor than him. But my point is, is that sometimes, you know, if you get the right role, like we've, I think we've talked about Wahlberg before. I'm like, Wahlberg is good in comedies and movies where he's just doing crazy action. And if he fits in those places, great. I think Anya Taylor-Joy is really good at stoicism and, and being kind of still. And, uh, and that's her wheelhouse. And I think this character works well for that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna stop arguing about the chess show, but I really, I feel like she fit that really well too. Because there's there's so much that happens internally in that, you know, like all of the strategy and the way she's thinking ahead, and you know, like she's sitting there still, but you can see through her posture when she gets pissed and when she's thinking. And oh, I really like her. I really think she's great. That's cool. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I like Van Damme. You know what I mean? You're not going to, and there's a lot you could say about him that would be true. And I would just not care and continue liking him. Yeah. He can um, do the splits like a motherfucker. I'll tell you that. That that you could not deny. Do you think he could still do that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. No hip you, problems? You the Volvo commercial? Yeah, that was a while back though, wasn't it? Yeah, he can still do it. He's fucking Van Damme. All right then. All right. Let's talk about this movie. Uh, um, what about, what about Dr. Lady? Now- I seem to think that I read something briefly this morning that said that Dr. Lady is the same lady as Crazy Lady at the end of The Happening. Do you have IMDb up? Can you confirm I, that I for us? <laughs> that she is the same actor? Because these are very different roles. One is much better performance than the other. <laughs> um, but I will see what I can find. So I like her in this. I think she does such a good job of being caring. Yes. And careful, right? Like that's her thing is she's um n- she knows she's dealing with someone quite fragile and possibly dangerous and she's always complimenting them. Oh, I'm so happy to meet you, Dennis. And n- trying not to patronize but also reassure them that I believe in you. I believe you're real. Yeah, well, I think like it it feels to me like in general all of the personalities are a bit offended by the fact that dissociative identity disorder is not a better recognized 
disorder in psychology circles, right? Like, yeah. it's like an underpinning of the movie that they're like, well, people will believe that we're real now. Will people believe that we're real now? Because, you know, I, I think at the time, and this is only what, like eight years old, uh, I think it's probably still true today. It's not every psychos they're not all in agreement that this is a real phenomenon agreement, agreement. yeah that this is a real phenomenon <laughs> sorry oh we're doing that now <laughs> yeah i just you're the writer and i just you know <laughs> okay uh so anyhow like like a lot of psychologists aren't necessarily trained on the nuances of it they uh will actively deny it as as a real yeah. condition you know um, they think it's a put on, they think it's maybe symptoms of a different disorder, so on and so forth. And so she very much throughout the film acts not just as caring towards them, but also as an advocate for patients with this disorder, right? And you see that in the scene where she goes and talks to the neighbor and they're watching uh we it's either Wheel of Fortune or it's It's real. You or, don't or grab price. the wheel with your thumb. Well it could be price Dumbass. is right. I thought maybe it was price is right too. Um no, nah, it's got to be wheel. You think it's wheel? <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> yeah. But then the neighbor's like, I don't believe it. I'm not buying it. You know, and and that's kind of like the feeling that you get that she faces on the regular, right? Like right. she's going to go speak at this conference over Skype because she's constantly having to defend her diagnoses and, and, and you know, these patients that she's working with. Um, and yeah, I do agree I, that she's very, she's very careful in caring regarding their fragility while still kind of challenging them at points in a very careful and deliberate way. But of course the mistake she makes is not really realizing just how dangerous some, the, the two undesirable alters really are. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Going into the, and- the lion's den was not the move. Right. Yeah, and I think, though, she's in the position, though, where she's consciously giving everyone the benefit of the doubt and even ignoring maybe her own warning signs. Yes. Right? Because she doesn't want to be biased. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think her performance is excellent, and I can confirm she is the old lady in The Happening. Yeah, there we go. According to IMDb. The better performance. (laughs) Even you don't believe that. (laughs) Even you don't believe that. <laughs> I will say she's she's a hoot. good in that she's movie, a hoot. though. She's a hoot in that movie. She's good in that movie. <laughs> um, so I guess we need to get into the the darkest part of the movie, at least in my opinion. Uh, the part that makes maybe this movie a little tougher to watch is the sub story, uh, uh, Casey's past, um, the flashbacks to going hunting with her father and uncle. Um, I I I had not seen this and seeing it in theaters. And I always loved it. Well, and I think this is why. I think it's just so hard to watch. I uh, had kind especially of especially knowing where it's going. Yeah, I'd kind yeah. of forgotten about this storyline too. And then as soon as the uncle showed up on screen, I was like, "Oh yeah, all right, I remember." Like, yeah, and it's interesting. Like that actor is so likable. Like I really enjoy him. He just passed away last year. Um, that's Brad William Hinky. Yeah, pretty pretty young. He was um, in the remake of The Stand recently, and he was Tom Cullen, and he is so likable in that part. And uh, but man, and even in this, before things get 
bad when he's, I guess, doing his grooming or whatever. He seems like the fun uncle, right? He's at the dinner table telling stories, and you got the buck fever, and, you know. Yeah. Um, he's likable in those moments. Yeah, well, you know, likability can be a tool wielded in pretty horrible ways, I think. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of serial killers are very charismatic. Yes. So, you know, yeah, it is... It is difficult to watch it unfold, and I think like you pretty early. It is done in the most tasteful way possible. It is done in a very tasteful way, um, but it also shows the parallels between her and Kevin. Right? They they both are victims of abuse, and uh, you know not not the first time in Shyamalan's uh, filmography that he has dealt with child abuse. You know. Um, but it it is rough, man. It is rough uh, when you when you do realize what's going on with the uncle, and then when the dad dies, you know it's done in these little thirty seconds. That's clips. the worst part. Like, like I mean, the part where it happens, and you maybe think, okay, this is a, a it's horrible, but it, it's happening once, and she'll get therapy for it, and you know everything will be okay, maybe still. But then she has to go live with him. Yeah. And it's just going to be a cycle. And it's just like, it just sucks. Like, it's so awful. Yeah. And um, and it puts the character in perspective. Why is she so wily? Why does she know, like, that moment where uh, Dennis is going to take one of the girls away? She's like, pee on yourself, pee on yourself. And that's like an immediate thing that comes to her mind because she's probably had to do it, right? Yeah. Um, to prevent being raped and it just like it's a gut punch in the movie it, it is and it's delivered the whole the whole thing the whole sub story with her is probably less than two or three minutes i think yeah i think you could watch it in on youtube in two minutes it would have all the scenes in completion yeah i mean it's just these little 30 second clips Uh, that are interspersed throughout the movie where it kind of comes to light what the deal is with her. Um, And then, you know, that it turns out, and I don't know if this is the greatest thing about this movie, but it turns out that being a victim of abuse is what ultimately saves her because uh, the, this is a good conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The beast is, uh, he feels that people who have not suffered are lesser and the people who have suffered are more evolved. They're the next evolution of humanity. And when he's coming for her and then he sees that she's suffered, he's like, Oh, you're one of us rejoice. So rejoice. All right. I'm going to leave you alone now. You know, my first time watching the movie, I'm like, okay, makes sense fine yes but this time watching the movie knowing what's about to happen i'm like these other two girls have been kidnapped one nearly raped and abused and they're by him and put in rooms by themselves i'm like they are as traumatized (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) they are going to need lots of therapy they have now become broken regardless of how sheltered their life may have been and i also I have this thing where I'm like, you don't know what other people have been through. I've been following them for two months or however long. That's not long enough to know that something happened in their childhood 
that manifests in a different way. But I, I just, uh, I, I tend to approach everyone as if they've been broken in some way. Everyone's had some shit go down probably, you know? Um, but I, it, I was like, come on, but like, that's not a good enough reason to kidnap two women. And then, you know, well, we are talking about somebody with 24 personalities who is that's true. <laughs> like relying it on just, communication between it's super them hypocritical. while they sit in the chairs <laughs> in the dark room. Uh, yeah. But yes, I agree. Like it, it does it does minimize, you know, people who endure silent abuse or not physically noticeable abuse, you know, not every beating leaves scars on the skin. Um so yeah it does it does really make an assumption about these other two young women that you know just because they're laughing and playing with their phones in the moment that they've had totally sheltered lives and you know have been you know coddled and are therefore somehow lesser um right I, yeah and i i i do like maybe it's a problem but i do like that uh, Anya Tillinger's character is more savvy and it's because maybe she's been in this place where she's had to think outside of the box, been in a place where she wants to escape, been in a place dealing with an abuser and saying, that's not going to work. That's just going to get us hurt more, you know? Um, but I, and I don't think it's really problematic, but I think that like you said, of being someone who's broken has saved her. I'm like, what kind of message is this really? Like, I, I mean, and I know, like you said, it's the enemy. It's the bad guy saying these things, but it isn't quite that clear. Like we see in other movies where the bad guy is racist and sexist and all these things. You're like, that's the bad guy. He's horrible. Yet there's something about the horde or uh, the, the beast and the character that James McAvoy plays that all summed up in the one, there's still something there that you're like rooting for well, in a way. And it's the, in that I think kind of makes it where him saying you're broken, that saves you and it almost justifies it. And it's not coming across as a bad guy motive. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it, like all good bad guys, this bad guy has a point of view. And Dennis and Patricia, who are the two of the 24 personalities, or 23 until the beast shows up, um, are angling t- for the reveal of the beast, who they feel is going to be like this more powerful personification. They're not wrong. They're not wrong. They're not necessarily working on the side of good. Right? Like, yeah. is it a good thing to let this thing out? No, not necessarily. And the other 22 or 21 or whatever, math is hard, uh, are kind of like, no, stop, no, you know, sending frantic messages to the doctor, you know, and so on and so forth. But in the end, Dennis and Patricia are not incorrect. Like, they feel that through this disorder, they are able to manifest something that is greater than regular human. I don't mean greater in terms of like achievement or perception or anything like that. Just like Basically physically a like hero. That villain. motherfucker can climb walls, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like and it he is, gets shredded. Yeah. By it thinking is about like it. superhuman. 
And the movie it hints at that all along when the doctor is right. describing, you know, the insulin shot. Yes. That they, when she sees the video, the one of them has to take insulin and the others don't. And this person was blind, but the alters could see and they regrew their ocular nerves and so on and so forth. Like there, there are ways that the brain can convince itself to manifest, you know, uh, certain things. Um, and, and and so like that's that's what Dennis and Patricia have seized upon and, and feel like they're gonna bring forth this manifestation and then it turns out that yes, they they have, you know. Um so I don't know. It's it is interesting. I think that's why you end up kinda I don't wanna say rooting for him, but identifying with yeah you, you identify it, with a lot of the altars really like right. you identify with barry to an extent and when kevin finally comes to the fore you really identify with that poor guy like good god you know like endured abuse like goes missing inside his own body for years at a time while these other people are running around in it um so yeah i mean like like kevin is a victim and Kevin yeah. is suffering and a lot of these altars are suffering as much as him. And maybe they all view the beast as a way to never have to endure that again. Right? Like it's a result. It's a culmination of what they've endured and so on. I don't know. I'm just talking out my ass, but I mean, that's, that's no, where my head yeah, goes I, in these moments. I agree. There is. And I think maybe I, I would call it the Thanos uh, rule where there's a little bit of, that makes sense. That kind of makes sense. You know, the whole Thanos killing half of the world to kind of reset and get the resources back. And I'm like, eh, that kind of makes sense. You know, like, even though I wouldn't do it personally, I see and I get it. But I just, um, that I was just pointing out the nuance there of how that, uh, hey, you're, you're hurt. And that makes you better. Right? You know, it's just kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, there's a there's a line that's either in this movie or I read it, but I, I typed it out. It's the delusion of a sense of safety. And that's why the beast feels superior to the others, because the, the two girls, because they have the delusion of a sense of safety. Right. And. I just found that to be so interesting. I was going to ask you, do you have the delusion of a sense of safety? I think you're you're better off having it. Like so um do I have the delusion? I don't know that I well delusional people don't know they're delusional, so maybe. But I I try to have it. I think we're better off having it to a degree because I think at all times uh something bad could happen. But most likely it's not going to. But you can't live your life worried about everything. Like I walk, I try to walk every day now since I had a heart attack. I could get flattened by a, a driver that doesn't pay attention. It could happen. It's within the realm of possibility. But I still have to go out and walk. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think in order to function properly, you need to have an illusion of, <laughs> or a sense of safety because um, you'll just become a hermit and you'll be stuck in your little place. And there are people who don't have it and they become hoarders and have other, you know, disorders where they just try to control the things they can. Uh, so I, I think it's a, a healthy thing. 
I, I, to have the illusion of a sense of safety. Yeah, I think I think you're probably correct in that. I think that is definitely something that I struggle with. Um, I think we've talked on the podcast before about like anxiety and how you have dealt with it in certain ways, and I have not. Uh, <laughs> and so, and so yeah, I recommend therapy. And so I I do it's, not have the delusion of a sense of safety. You know, every time something terrible happens in the news, I put myself in the shoes of the victim. Like, but, you know, like I think I've said before, my empathy works over time, right? And yeah. I I definitely like see myself. Uh, in these situations and picture like, oh, that could happen here at any time, you know. Um, but I don't know. Something about that phrase really s- struck me because I do think that some people in life, in life go through things that are just too traumatizing and and have that removed permanently, you know. Like, yeah. it, and it could happen at a very early age, like like what happens like, to um, the woman in this movie, you know. Yeah, and and uh, I think of the people who have survived school shootings, right? And I've listened to podcasts about that, and they'll be like, you know, I hear a door open sometimes, and it's just anxiety rises. So, and and by no means is anything I've really been through has been as traumatizing as some others by any means. Um, but I've been in that point though, before I started going to therapy where I didn't have any sense of safety, where everything was out to get me and I couldn't move and you just can't do that. And I know it's hard uh, to say or not hard to say, but it's hard to do. Um, But it can be practiced and it can be done at least in my experience. But there are people who've been through far worse where, just going to therapy may not help. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think a lot of our current culture is kind of set up against us overcoming that as well. You know, like we are 24 hour news cycle. We are bombarded with horror, you know, 24 hours a day. And, uh, it is, it's tough. You know, I, I try to think of it in terms of my neighborhood here. Like, it's pretty chill, you know, <laughs> it's chill in my house, <laughs> but, but, you know, you get much beyond that microcosm into the macrocosm and it's just like war pestilence destruction you know and it's it's hard to kind of put that out of your mind and be in the moment um anyhow yeah so okay so yeah. i wanted i wanted to talk from that we can use that as a jumping off point because i did look into dissociative identity disorder and this movie of course, as always, caught backlash from certain communities as being an irresponsible representation of this disorder. Okay? Right. So the first thing I did was I went to WebMD and I looked up the criteria for diagnosis for uh, dissociative identity disorders. Okay, so we got two or more oh, You distinct... are on a government watch list now. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have been for quite some time. Right. Two or more distinct identities or personality states are present, each with their own relatively enduring pattern of perceiving, relating to, or thinking about the environment and self. Right? Amnesia must occur, defined as gaps in the recall of everyday events, important personal information, and or tra- traumatic events. Right? The person must be distressed by the disorder or have trouble functioning in one or more major life areas because of the disorder. The disturbance is not part of normal cultural or religious practices. 
The symptoms cannot be due to direct psychological effects of a substance, such as blackouts or chaotic behavior during alcohol intoxication or general medical conditions such as com- complex partial seizures. That's it. That's the five criteria for diagnoses. Okay. I think this movie kind of nails it, right? Like, it it is obviously a hyper-dramatized right. so version that would be my thing, because I don't... I don't know anyone who's ever dealt with it, and I don't even know if I've seen videos. Like, the the thing that we get as this, we think of Fight Club, and we think of, spoilers, we think of this, or we think of um, a Psycho, even, my favorite movie of all time, where the multiple personality disorder, and it's always, like, this fully... I, I wonder if the lines are that clearly delineated in real life. Well, it's interesting you know because I mean? as I read on, okay, I'll, I'll go through my, my line of thinking of what happened here. Uh, a little later on in that article, it said famous people with dissociative identity disorder include Marilyn Monroe, Roseanne Barr, Adam Duritz, lead singer of Counting Crows, and Herschel Walker, which I was surprised to see. Okay. Walker wrote a book about his struggles. Um along with his suicide attempts and da 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 Now, of course, Herschel Walker was recently in the news a lot when he was running for Senate. Um, but it was it was really interesting to read this. But I was surprised to see Adam Duritz on there. And so I looked, I looked into that. And it turns out that he doesn't necessarily have DID. I think this, this, this article misrepresents him. Uh, he actually has depersonification disorder which is different and it's something that i have actually struggled with and members of my family have struggled with luckily for me it has faded to the back it's something that i dealt with when i was a kid but what that is is the overall feeling that you are disassociated from the actions of your body your body is moving around it's talking it's going through the motions but it feels as though psychologically you're on the outside or maybe in the back looking out as all this stuff is happening, right? And this happened to me for about a year when I was 12 or 13 years old. And I tried to describe it to my parents and I could not adequately describe it to them to the point where they understood how kind of desperate I was feeling about it, you know, and it's kind of this this thing that kind of came and went over the period of this year. But when it was happening, it was very disconcerting, like really, really disconcerting. And, and Duritz has struggled with it apparently for like his whole life to the point where he's heavily medicated and he has to like come off of medication in order to like write music for their albums and then remedicate himself to go back on tour. It's like a whole big thing with this guy he wrote a big article about it and it was fascinating to read but depersonification disorder is a stepping stone towards did right so essentially what the deal is is that people kind of start with this and then they start losing time right they start like having episodes of amnesia and not really like understanding what was going on you know like different things happened to them they don't know what happened turns out you know here's a different personality manifesting and taking over and then you know that can just exacerbate itself because the trauma of that happening you know it kind of has like a domino effect sort of situation um 
but I thought it was really interesting that something that I have dealt with personally can in certain circumstances, you know, lead to this mind blowing disorder that people struggle with that is, you know, like overwhelmingly debilitating, you know? Um, so yeah, it was, it was just really interesting kind of reading through the different steps and how it works for people. I went down a bit of a rabbit hole with it this morning, but it does, it did lead me to think like, Oh yeah, I can really see that happening. (laughs) Having been there to an extent myself, I can really see how, those dominoes fall, you know, like I could really relate to it. And uh, I don't know. It's just was interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. No, that was me rambling about DID. Have you ever watched uh, that? Have you ever watched the United States of Terra with Tony Collette? I watched the first four or five episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Another interesting and probably uh, less. Where I was introduced to Brie Larson. Yeah, me too. Yeah, when yeah. she started showing up in other stuff, I was like, oh, Tara, it's United and States of Tara. And then the other kid was is in um, Atypical, which is fucking fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that kid is great. Like, all the people from that show are great. Uh, it's a great show if anybody hasn't seen it, but it's a, it's a different take on dissociative identity disorder in which the mom in a nuclear family she's got this husband and one son and one daughter uh she suffers from it and she has like three altars that come to the fore and kind of like take over at different moments and it's all about how the family deals with it like they're all aware of it and they all know it and she her her primary main personality she's just a normal mom right but then every now and then one of these things just comes like popping through and just wrecks havoc on her life and uh it's it's a maybe a lighter take on it but i still i think it's probably fairly uh in so much that it gets comedy out of it, I think it's kind of also a respectful representation of the disorder. But having having read all this stuff this morning, I kind of feel like Split is not necessarily a disrespectful representation of the disorder. You know, like I I, I see how people would balk from the idea that it would give other people who were not familiar with the disorder, the idea that people with it are violent, you know, or are criminals or are cannibals or whatever, which is obviously not desirable. But I I do think like the argument to that is like, no, just this guy, you know, (laughs) it's just this guy who is going to eat these young ladies, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a fine line to walk, but I I didn't end yeah. up feeling like it was you know. And so what I get to is I don't know who made these uh, claims or uh, raised these concerns, but I wonder if who it is because sometimes I feel like the people raising the concerns aren't from the actual community. You know, I get that like, a lot too. It, I think that sometimes I, too. Yeah. Well, I'm like you. I think you're 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 defending a group that isn't actually offended by this. And I could be wrong. I don't know. But there are times when I watch movies and I'm like, eh. yeah, anyway, that 
Yeah. If you do want to yeah, read let me uh, hear from the people who actually are suffering from the disorder and them say, yeah, this is offensive, then I'll get behind it. Yeah, totally. I read an interesting article, and I'm not going to read this out loud because I, I, I did grab a quote from it, but it's too long. But if you're interested, check out uh, New York University Applied Psychology Opus. That's that's the name of the publication. It's a paper written by somebody named Sophie uh, Mifang Wang. Sorry if I'm totally butchering that name, but it's called Split a Review and It's Unexpected Merit. And it's essentially like a academic psychological breakdown of how the film uh, is fairly accurate in its depiction of the disorder. I don't know. Just interesting. It's interesting. Lots of interesting stuff out there to read about this movie if you want to go down the rabbit hole like I did. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, this is an easy recommendation, and uh, it will definitely be in my top four movies at the end of the year. Um, I feel comfortable saying that. Yeah, I feel comfortable saying that as well. It's just where is it going to fit in into those top four? That's the key. That's where the drama is. <laughs> I feel like this year, though, we maybe want to count down to the worst because I think we we you and I both are going to have one of the the trilogy in the number one spot, I would guess. Yeah. I don't know that Split's going to creep above all of them, but we'll see. Uh, but maybe our next film will be a contender for our favorite movie. Uh, uh, we're going to watch Glass from 2019, the direct sequel to Split. Was it, starring, was it next? Was it just it's, Split it's, and then Glass? It, like Old wasn't in between there? immediate. Okay. Old comes after. Okay. Uh, let me double check because I did make a, mis- a mistake last season, and oh, you think, said, "Oh, I thought this was coming." I think and I'm you're like, right. I, I think I think you're actually right. It just surprises me that they're just boom, boom, back to back like that. Split yeah, and then split glass, glass, old knock, and then yeah. and then we're almost done. We got three films left. It's crazy how quick this went. <laughs> yeah, we got three films left, and uh, I'll be sad because this is my favorite director still. Um. And I have, at this point, seen every Shyamalan film because I've already seen all the ones going forward. But, uh, yeah, he's still my guy. So, yeah, we're going to watch uh, Glass. We get the return of Samuel L. Jackson and um, Bruce Willis uh, reprising their roles, as well as James McAvoy, uh, Sarah Paulson, and all that. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy makes a brief appearance. So It'll be interesting watching it. it through the lens of bruce willis's current struggles right like i wonder how much he was impacted at the point where they made this film by what's going on with him now you know yeah i'll have to, I'll have to kind of we'll look see. into that yeah it's interesting it's, well one thing we know for sure is samuel jackson likes the color purple <laughs> and uh not just the film oh, but the actual speaking color. speaking of the color purple have you seen the trailer yet for the new color purple yeah Mm-hmm. Isn't it a musical? It is a musical, and it looks fantastic. I've already, I've already sent a message out to Lakendra and said, "Hey, hey, 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 yeah, yeah." So we got to do that. We definitely have some um, Spielberg adjacent stuff to take a look at, like the uh, the new Indiana Jones and all that stuff. But for sure, uh, we'll cross that bridge. That'll probably be a in between season thing. Maybe I don't know. Sounds good. Yeah. So anyway, we will see you. Oh, let me say this. If you want to get in touch with us, you can. You can find Eric on Twitter at Eric underscore hotter. You can find me at podcast by Jeff. You can check out my other podcast called the movie draft house. You can find Eric's gaming reviews over at gamingnexus.com as well as his YouTube channel, Eric Hotter. 
think you nailed it. And you can find us on Facebook at uh, Chronologically Podcast and online at Chronologically.net. Yes, you can. So we'll see you in two weeks for class. Thank you. Bye.